Welcome to Growth Mindset University. I'm your host, Jordan Paris, and this show is all about learning the lessons we should have learned in school but did not, so that we can succeed in the progressive new age of business and life we find ourselves in today. Each episode will feature a brand new lesson, and now it's time for today's lesson. So put your thinking cap on, because school is now in session. Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning into the podcast today. Today, we're speaking with WWE champion Celeste Bonin. Now, if you want to build your network while you're listening and learning with Growth Mindset University, I always advise you reach out to our guests today. This is a way that I built my network over many years, reaching out to people who I really enjoyed listening to, reading, etc. Reach out to people and say, hey, I really enjoyed this specific thing. And don't ask for anything. Don't be needy. So reach out to Celeste today on Instagram, at Celeste Bonin. Strike up a conversation there. You can even just take a screenshot of this wherever you're listening to the podcast and share it out on your Instagram story and tag at Celeste Bonin and I, at J underscore Paris underscore. Last thing before we get into this one today, if you for some reason, have not signed up for my all-encompassing free course on podcasting, then I highly recommend you do that if you're even thinking of starting your podcast or if you're a seasoned veteran in podcasting. I have a ton of students and so many of them have just been raving about it over the past few months. So get the free course at jordanparis.com slash course. That is jordanparis.com slash course for my free all-encompassing course on podcasting. Now, without further ado, let's get into this conversation today with the one and only Celeste Bonner. My guest today is Celeste Bonner. When chosen by WWE as a last-minute replacement for an elimination TV show, Celeste rolled the dice, packed up her life, and moved to Tampa to pursue the opportunity. With no persona, no funding, and no outfit, she had all of 48 hours to get it all together and make a name for herself. And that's exactly what she did, becoming a successful model and professional wrestler. The confidence Celeste found during her endeavors ultimately inspired her to launch Celestial Bodies in 2014. With no background in fashion whatsoever, she turned to her determination, previous experiences, and grit to gain a foothold for the brand. Inspired by one of her former WWE outfits, she designed dozens of clothing prototypes until she was satisfied with the outcome, a concept that became the signature booty scrunch curve-hugging seam design. Celeste's creativity and clothing designs are meant to embody the strength and prowess of bold women everywhere and can be worn from the couch to the gym. Ultimately, the goal is that Celeste's designs make wearers feel equally comfortable and confident. Celeste Bonin, welcome to the show. Thank you. That was quite the intro. Um, hey, got to give credit where credit's <laughs> due. I mean, are you serious? Come on. I would like to add, though, with that 48 hours of preparation to uh, debut on TV, there was a lot of crying. <laughs> it's, oh. it's not in the bio, but it's that's real life. So 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, well, I appreciate the transparency there. I want to make sure people can find you today before we really get into it. At Celeste Bonin on Instagram, where they can find your people can find your highly engaged community of what 800,000, something like that. Celestialbodies.com uh, is the clothing website, is the fashion design. You know, you, all your creations are there. The shorts are there, the special shorts, uh, or cbcollective.com. And so, Celeste, I'm excited to get into this today. There's a lot to unpack here. How does one become a uh, WWE uh, wrestler? Where, where do, <laughs> well, how does that happen? It's such a, like, it's um, everything like really impactful or um, life-changing that's happened to me in, in my 33 years of life has been by, um, not by mistake, but uh, it's always been a, a really interesting, like, um, holy crap moment, like where I've had to make a, you know, a really, really fast uh, decision and just go with it. And so I kind of learned a lot about myself um, very early on with this entire uh, wrestling career um, that I, uh, I, I certainly drive, um, I thrive under pressure and it's kind of like my strong suit, no matter like how terrifying it seems. Um, I'm just one of those people that uh, when I'm kind of left with like an ultimatum, I, I, uh, I, I, I step up my game a lot. So um, that's one of my <laughs> my strong suits. I can relate to that very much so. I make these decisions without hesitation just because I will talk myself out of mm. it or overthink it and blow it uh, if I give myself too much time to think about it and don't make the decision. So I relate. The, the more, it's exactly right, because it's the, the more um, that you can tune into like the inner voice, like your intuition, the better you'll end up the better off you'll be because that first instinct is always like, it's your first instinct. So, you know, if you take uh, a split, uh, you know, a last minute decision and you're, you overthink it and yourself, you know, you'll end up exactly like overthinking it. And, and um, for, so for me, I really learned to listen to that inner voice, that, that gut instinct, and it's never steered me wrong. And if it has, you know, pushed me in a direction that didn't seem uh, right at the moment, it always ends up, you know, teaching me a super valuable lesson or giving me a really, really valuable experience that I can, you know, take and apply to some other aspect of my life. So I always say that um, in my four-year wrestling career, I learned so much about like business, myself, the world in general, people. Um, so it, like a lot of stuff that I was uh, like the adversity and stuff that I faced in show business um, really like shaped me as a person and like all aspects of my life. So <clears throat> I, going back to the wrestling. Um, so I was like never a huge fan. I, I watched it with like my brother when, you know, we were in elementary school and we both loved Vader and, and like I loved Goldberg and stuff like that, but I was never like a, a huge fanatic. And, um, so, uh, it wasn't until like later on when I was in my early twenties, when I started paying attention to, uh, WWE again, um, because there was like this rise of, women that really caught my attention, like the Beth Phoenixes and Natalia's like these really strong, powerful women. And, um, I was like, I feel like I could do that. <laughs> and so my, one of my best friends at the time, we, we owned a, um, a, a spray tan business where we would go and, you know, we would, we'd spray tan. Um, we had a little room out of a gym that we, um, would, we would bring our clients and stuff. And we ended up meeting this guy who was in the fitness industry. And, um, he had also had a tanning business and 
uh, I think there was some kind of cross promotion he wanted to do, or he wanted my best friend to be in his uh, calendar or whatever the case was. So we ended up getting to know him and he was actually a, uh, he was in the developmental program for WWE um, and he had since left, um, but he was working on getting and positioning himself into being almost like a recruiter for the program. So he got us a tryout. Like we wrote up a bio, uh, submitted some pictures and um, we both got selected to go because we, I'm I'm from Houston, Texas. And so I was living there at the time and um, the developmental program for WWE was in Tampa. So we flew out there for a week and basically the idea of it is to like put these new recruits or people trying out through the ringer. Like you live a full week of the lifestyle, you know, what it's like to be signed um, to a contract in the developmental uh, program. And um, my best friend, she hated it. She just, she's so true to herself. She just like knew she was like, this is not for me. Like she went home like in the middle of the week. She's like, there's no point in doing this. Um, Cause she knew she, it wasn't something that she wanted to pursue, but um, me on the other hand, I loved it. And I was like, yeah, I was sad that she left, but I was like, I know, you know, this is something I can do. I'm like, I, I realized like I had a, a, a passion for it. So I ended up getting hired and, um, within like a month or so, like I packed up and moved everything to Tampa on my own. I'd never really lived like a, in a different city than all my family and friends. So it was a little bit scary. Um, and yeah, so I was signed for the, in the developmental program for maybe like three weeks, um, before I had the opportunity um, so basically <clears throat> during that time, there was the regular WWE programming, uh, SmackDown and Raw, which are, you know, weekly episodic shows. Um, and then they had a couple other shows. Uh, one was called NXT and it was like a reality based elimination show. And, um, they were on season three and it was the first ever all women's season. So they had all the girls ready, prepped. They were, they had been in the developmental program, had time to, you know, a learn to wrestle, <laughs> um, develop their characters, learn their strong suits and all that. And, um, so I learned like 48 hours before I was supposed to debut on the show that they, they said, I got a call from the office and they said, Hey, Hey kid, <laughs> um, you're going to debut on, on Tuesday. Uh, you know, um, and so at that time NXT, which was the reality based elimination show was live on live television on the sci-fi network. So, um, I literally had never had a match yet. I was still learning the, you know, wrestling's like complex as far as learning the actual the moves the you know, the physical part of it, but there's also a really like, um, the, the aspect to me, that's the hardest to understand and to grasp is the, um, the psychology behind it's tech. So this, oh, yeah, psychology. it's a, it's a, it's a huge mental game. And, um, and so I had so much to learn and I literally, I got that call and I immediately, I immediately started crying. Cause like it was first of all, overwhelming. It wasn't necessarily tears of like sadness. It was, was kind of like panic. <laughs> and I was like, this is what I, I, I called one of my mentors like really, really early on. And I, I, um, he kind of helped me train as much as I could to get ready for, you know, this big life changing, uh, career for them, like the month that I had to get ready for it. And, um, he was like, this is what you signed up for, like do it. And and that honestly was like the little pep talk that I needed to be like, okay, suck it up. Let's do it. But I, I was just overwhelmed because I had gotten signed and like the developmental salary is like not a lot of money. And I didn't have a lot of money when I got signed. I was bartending and going to school. So I didn't own any clothes for, cause, uh, the women were called divas back then. And, you know, I didn't have any clothes that did, like necessarily looked like diva clothes. And I didn't know how to wrestle. I didn't have wrestling boots. Um, I didn't even have like a character name yet. So I was panicking. I literally like when it got 
highlights. I got my nails done, like all the stuff I could think of that was like diva-y. And cause I'm like such a dude, <laughs> like such a tomboy my whole life. And, um, so I like, I, and I didn't have any money and I, and so they said, okay. Uh, and so they gave me like a thousand dollars petty cash and they said, go buy diva clothes, get, you know, and they, they had, um, a, a company that makes wrestling boots, make me a pair of boots, like overnight, which is like unheard of. And cause they're completely custom to your feet. And so they were like trying to give me all the tools that I needed besides actual experience <laughs> in the ring. So I ended up debuting, um, I ended up wrestling on live TV for the first time ever, like ever, ever. And it was this like do or die situation. Like the first show that we debuted, it was, it was some matches. And then it was like a lot of like, uh, physical, um, contests and races. And then there was trivia stuff. And it was like, it, they really, we were considered rookies. So they really put us through the ringer and, you know, you had to be tough and you couldn't show that you, you know, you were cracking under pressure or whatever. And I actually, so I ended up, it, that was like the craziest experience of my life. And I ended up actually winning that show. I, um, it was like an elimination show. So I ended up winning that and got a spot on the main roster for SmackDown. So it was like this, I didn't like one day I just woke up and I was like, what happened? Like <laughs> after like the three, four months of that, that process. So that was like, um, probably the, the hardest thing I'd ever done, um, up until that point in my life, I think it was like 23. WWE's uh, scripted, isn't it? Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of, um, now it's more well known, um, that everything is, because in the past, it was kind of like pe you, you left people guessing, is it real? Is it not real? Yeah. So, I remember those days thinking, yeah. wondering that. Yeah. So maybe 10 years ago. I don't know. And so actually with like the introduction of um, a lot of reality TV, WWE has expanded into doing, you know, reality shows and, and all this stuff. So it's much more well known and it's common knowledge that um, the wrestling isn't quote unquote real. But like what I always like to, to educate people on is that it's definitely real. Um, you, the physical aspect is real. The, you know, the emotions, the, the, um, everything is, is real. Um, the only thing that is not real, if you want to use those words is, um, the outcome of the match. The outcome of the match is scripted. Um, so typically you have a storyline and your character is involved with your opponent in some way to draw interest, um, to the actual match. So if a story if, if a match is built up correctly, you'll have a storyline between two people to kind of, you know, bring in the, the fans and the audience to, to be interested in the actual match. So everything is, you know, you do know the outcomes of the matches, but, um, you know, a lot of your career is in, um, the hands of producers and writers and stuff like that. Um, but also a lot of it is up to you, you know, based on how you perform, you, you, you're, you, you know, if you're in a storyline or you're in a match that you don't necessarily, um, think that you fit into or you don't think you're capable of you just kind of have to go with it and prove yourself and stuff like that so I spent once I made it to the main roster it didn't really mean that I was going to be on tv regularly or that I had any kind of storyline um it just meant that I was like there so I, I kind of had probably for like a year and a half I just sat on the sidelines I traveled to every single tv every week I was at um live events and my life was just like a whirlwind but I even though I like had won that show and, and earned a spot on the main roster, I was still extremely inexperienced and, and I get it. Like a lot of other talent on the roster, you know, didn't think I deserved to be there. Um, and so I really, I had a hard work really, really hard to, to prove myself and, um, to be like a, a worthy opponent. Um, and so I spent a lot of time just getting my ass kicked on TV and, um, you know, building up other, other 
wrestlers and and stuff. And that's what you do. You you realize that you're not always going to be on top. It's it's peaks and valleys. So part of your job, especially when you're new, is to um, you know put your head down and do the work and and help other people accelerate in their careers. And then when it's your turn, they'll you know they'll do the same for you. And I learned so so much in that in that period of time. And um, yeah, I was just going to ask you like, what's the what's the number one thing you learned from this experience of yours, this very unique experience? Uh, honestly, it, I think it would have to be um, that you're never, you're never ready. You never, you'll never feel like you're ready for anything. And so I was kind of forced to just do it, um, you know, instead of uh, overthinking things and be like, oh, you know, what if this happens? What if this goes wrong? What if I look like an idiot? And I, I looked like an idiot a lot, like those first couple of years, because I literally learned on TV in front of people. So it was kind of this like underdog story where people kind of got behind it. Like the people that kind of knew this story of me having zero experience and then literally debuting on live TV and then, you know, winning, um, this, this rally show and then having to prove myself again on the, on the main roster. So, um, it was really cool when I started getting more opportunities to actually be on, um, you know, a main character on, on the shows and be in main storylines and stuff. So it like every part of it, even though people think maybe I didn't deserve it or earn it to be there initially, I definitely worked very, very hard to, to make an impact and actually, you know, be, uh, be a main part of, of the show and of the roster. So you walk away after how many years? Four years, is it? Yeah. yeah, I was there for four years. Probably my last year and a half was the most impactful for me. Um, it's like, this is another cool story. Um, so there was a, every match you get a producer. So if you learn that you're on a, a show, you get a producer to help you put together a match. Um, you have a, you have a time frame, you know, of how long your match is supposed to be. And you know, you, you know, and then you, and then you work backwards and you put the match together to make the most sense to be the most engaging for the audience. And, um, so we, we had this producer and he was, everyone called him the diva whisperer because to, you know, 10 year, eight, 10 years ago when I was in the women's division, um, the women didn't have a ton of opportunity, you know, out of a three hour show or a two hour show, the woman maybe had five to 10 minutes of the entire show. So yeah. we were all fighting for the same spot. There was only one's women, only one women's title. So we all wanted the same thing. And, and, um, there just wasn't a lot of opportunity. And so, when a producer would get a women's match, like everybody would want their opportunity to like prove themselves to, you know, to, to shine. And, and there just wasn't that much time for it. And so every, it, it was hard for the producers to deal with that. And so he, but uh, his name is Fit Finley and he's an, an incredible wrestler, had an amazing career. And now he's a producer uh, for WWE. And so he had a situation where he left um, for like a year and it was when I was still really new. And so he, when he came back after a year, he looked at me and he said, he was like, you're still not on the show. Like as a question, like, and I was like, mm, no, I don't know. <laughs> Cause I, I was doing stuff here and there, but I was, you know, I wasn't like a, a main, a main part of the show. And, um, I, I didn't have like a really like strong presence. And so he said, um, so we, that night that he came back, it was, uh, it was supposed to be a, a women's battle royal on raw, which is live television. There's only like a seven second delay. So that, that'll, that part will be important <laughs> at the end of the story. So, um, it's only a seven second delay. So there's not a lot of time to fix something. If there's a mistake, uh, live, basically live TV. Uh, that's interesting. Hmm. There's a saying that, and I don't know if it's for all live TV, but within the WWE is, um, that 
you can't, nothing can go wrong on live TV because what happens happens. So you just have to go with it because it's live, right? So we had this women's battle royal and the winner was supposed to have a shot at a title match against the, that, that current champion at the time. And so all the girls were in it. And, um, typically when you're more low on the totem pole, um, and you're not necessarily in a lot of main storylines, you kind of get eliminated first. And the, the more popular or well-known people are women will be in there the longest. And, you know, like the end of the match is more suspenseful and you're, you know, who's going to win, who's going to get the shot at a title run. So <clears throat> I had done a couple of things with, um, the girl that was supposed to be, was supposed to win and have the title shot. Um, we had done a few matches here and there. We had a, like a little storyline backstage and, um, and he, so fit Finley, he said, he was like, I can't believe you're still not, you know, you're not more, I guess, I don't know. You're not being utilized that much. And so he yeah. up, it was up to him and, and he was putting the match together and he said, okay, you're going to be in there. It's going to be down to just you and Eve, who was, um, Eve was like one of my mentors. She's an amazing person, an incredible wrestler. Like she's just, I used to call her, um, a Disney princess cause she always looked perfect <laughs> and she was like so kind and, and she helped me so much when I was like, when I was learning and, you know, just learning the ropes. So it was supposed to be her and I at the, at the very end and, you know, I was going to get eliminated and she was going to win the battle Royal. And then, you know, and then a, a story was going to be her and the current champion for a title, you know, a title run basically. So, um, it was down to us too. And the spot was, I was supposed to clothesline her over the top and she was supposed to hang on and then pull me out. And that was going to be the finish. And, um, I clotheslined her and she didn't, something went wrong or it just, we weren't in the right position. And I clotheslined her and she didn't go all the way over. So when you're in there and it's like all eyes on you and you, it's a time, you know, you're under a time crunch and stuff. She just said, hit me again. And like, you have to communicate with the person you're wrestling because a, you know, you have to be on the same page to have a good match. You're trying to protect each other at all costs and yourself. And, um, so she's hit me again. So I, I, clotheslined her really, really hard and so hard that she flipped over and couldn't hold on. So she got eliminated. So I was just standing in the middle of the ring and I was like, uh, just literally frozen. Like, cause I was like, Oh my God, there was a million things going in my head. I was like, am I going to get fired? What's going to happen? Like, you know, cause you're not um, supposed to win. Yeah. It was like, not the way the script was written. And so, um, the ref, uh, he was a friend of mine. We were in the developmental program together and it was actually his first time refing um, a, live raw match. So he was like, we were both just looking at each other like, Oh my God, what do we do? And so the, the referees, uh, they always have a microphone in their ear, like a little earpiece so they can hear the producers in the back. They can hear Vince. They can hear, you know, basically the production office saying, Hey, you know, so they, they just told him, they said, celebrate, what are you doing? Celebrate or tell her to celebrate. So he lifts my arm and I'm, I'm just standing there. But what's funny is like, it was such a true emotion, like a true reaction, even though, for me as a person and not as like my character and my, my wrestling name was Caitlin. I hated it so much, but that was like, yeah, I, I, I saw, that I was, saw that when I, when I was looking you up, I saw Kate, I was like, it's interesting. so <laughs> weird. You know why? It's cause they, yeah. they gave me like a, a whatever name because I think everybody was on the same page, assuming that I would just get eliminated right away in the NXT and then go back down to developmental and like learn, you know, and get better. And they just needed a body to put me in. Uh, cause the reason I would, I debuted with that season, um, is because they had the, the whole six girls they wanted to use, but they had an issue with one of them and she got let go like literally two days before. So, so that was where I came in. Um, yeah. and so they just, so I got stuck with that name and I hated it, but whatever you do what you have to do. Right. So, um, 
yeah. So like I was this underdog anyways. And so nobody expected me to win. I didn't, you know, I was really, really shocked. And so, um, I celebrated and the segment ended and, um, so I get out of the ring and I go back to, uh, when, right when you come out of the entrance, like when you're making your, your way down to the ring, um, there's a room and it's called gorilla and that's where Vince sits with a headset and, and there's a bunch of monitors and that's where your producer sits. And that's where basically everything is controlled. And that, you know, that's where they communicate to the ref, um, in the microphone. And so I walked back there, like it was one of the scariest moments. Cause I'm like, okay, you know, as soon as I go through this curtain, like what is going to happen to me? And so I walk, I walk back there and there's a bunch of people back there. Eve is there. She's super upset. She's crying. Um, Vince is laughing hysterically, like laughing maniacally. <laughs> and cause you know, he's he, Vince McMahon. He's been doing this his entire life. And so like when he, when something off script or like crazy happens, it's funny to him cause it's different. And like, you know, he, he was loving it. And I was like, okay, Vince is laughing. I think I'm good. I'm safe. And so because it wasn't what was supposed to happen, a lot of the girls that were on the, you know, that on the women's roster weren't happy. Like they were going and trying, running to the writers right when it happened, trying to figure out how to write me out of the show, write me out of the script and write me out of the storyline. And then I had the other, you know, other people like producers and other talent and stuff that knew how hard I had worked that were congratulating me and say, you know, you deserve this, take this and run with it, you know? And so it was one of, another one of those times where I'm like, okay, like, here we go. And so because of that, um, it was given the opportunity to step up and like be in the, the, uh, shot for the title. Right. So I then had a, like a three or four month, um, storyline with the current champion, uh, which, um, well, yeah. So it, I don't know. It, it was like, I had the story ended up where, um, I ended up having like a triple threat match on a pay-per-view with the current champion. Her name was Layla. And then the girl Eve that I was supposed to, that who was supposed to win the battle Royal and myself. So it kind of turned into this really cool storyline. And then it ended up just being even I, um, after like a four month run where I won the title from her in my hometown on raw on the 20th anniversary. So it was like this insane ride, um, to, and, I, and I got the title and then I had it for about five months and it was just, you know, when you have the title, you, you are the face of, even though it is scripted, yes, but the, it's an honor because they trust you to be the face of the division to, you know, to represent the brand. And, and so I was booked like probably not only just for live events, which are, are non-televised stuff. Like I would be doing three, maybe three of those shows a week, two TVs, and then appearances on top of it. So it would, I would probably be home like one day out of the week for, and that, that was like for a good year. And I was so grateful because I, I, it meant so much to me because I had worked so hard for it from this like super underdog story. And, um, when I got the title, you know, everyone, I, people stopped giving me a hard time, I guess, you know, on backstage and stuff. And cause I, I truly worked for it. And so it was this really like, um, it was so gratifying because it, it wasn't just handed to me and I, you know, I had to prove myself for so long. So that was like an incredible, incredible thing for me. Quite the story, Celeste, <laughs> uh, the, the underdog. We all yes. root for Everybody loves the underdog. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Me too. Like, I like, I mean, I don't know if you follow football at all, but like, you know, Jaguars quarterback gets injured, you know, Super Bowl champion Nick Foles, uh, like a couple of weeks ago. And I'm from Philadelphia and that's where he won the Super Bowl. And you now he's on the Jaguars, just got this like $80 million contract. 
first like couple snaps gets injured, right? And he's like, he's on injured reserve. And now the sixth round rookie that they didn't even think could be the backup comes in. His name's Gardner Minshew. Like I, I was I'm like, who the heck is this guy? <laughs> they make him up. And I'm looking at him. <laughs> yeah, right. They make him up. <laughs> and, uh, but this guy is lighting it up as of, uh, as of this recording. I think he has like seven touchdowns, one interception. It's like, and it, like the whole NFL is like rallying around this guy. It's super cool. He's like a, he's like a superstar now. It's <laughs> hopefully, so cool. hopefully, yeah. It just because it it is such a defining moment yeah. when you're given an opportunity that is like very very overwhelming. And I think it's those moments that really like show you who you are and what you're capable of. So, um, and and what I think most, and personally, this is why you know I love an underdog story. It's because you so many people can relate to that guy. You know, everybody's been an underdog at one point in their life or their whole life or whatever. So it's this, it's this thing where people can vicariously live through you or they can be, you know, inspired to say, Hey, I'm just like her. I'm just like him. Like, you know, look at him. And, and it, it's like this snowball effect. And in, in my opinion, and that that's, I think truly why people love an underdog story because it, it's so relatable. Yeah. And you think about uh, someone who's perfect, you can't people can't really relate to someone who's perfect i i I don't know why i'm talking about football so much i don't i never i've never probably never talked about football like ever (laughs) unless i have an nfl athlete on the on the podcast which has happened a couple times but yeah like you think of tom brady with like six super bowl nobody can relate to that guy and everyone everyone roots for the patriots to to lose they they call it the the evil empire (laughs) yeah because they're the, the opposite of an underdog it's but, so funny. Um, yeah. So we, we move on from WWE. You walk away. I imagine you had to reinvent yourself uh, because I, and I can relate. I'd, I'd been an athlete for the first 20 years of my life. It ate up a lot of my time. WWE uh, ate up a lot of your time, I imagine. And bam, now you've just got a blank slate, uh, yeah, which you can draw on and, and, and create a day. What, what do you do? Dude, it's, it's, there's so many, there's two main ways to look at it. One is it's very scary because you're leaving everything you've known, everything you've worked for, but also it's like an an amazing opportunity because as humans, we're constantly reinventing ourselves. We're constantly evolving, becoming a different version of ourselves. And, um, so the reason I left is I had an incredible experience and I learned so much and, you know, there was hard times, there was amazing times and everything in between, but, um, I was, I had met my, well, he's now my ex-husband, but, um, we, I had gotten engaged pretty, um, early on in the relationship, maybe like after like six months. And, um, at that time I was also going through some personal issues. And so I had lost, um, in 2013, I, uh, a show called total divas launched. And that was a bunch of divas from WWE. They got their own reality show on E and myself and, um, my friend AJ Lee, who her and I had like a, a really, really um, amazing storyline as well in a really long run. And we were, we were, we were getting so much opportunity because we were, we were, we kept breaking glass ceiling after glass ceiling after glass ceiling. They were, they were trusting us to, to have um, really, really important segments on the show. We were getting highest rated segments. Like we were killing it. And it was when I had the title and, and um, I eventually lost the title to her at a, a pay-per-view match in 2013. And it was like voted women's match of the year. It was like this incredible run. And it, I think it was so great because we were the best of friends and we know, we knew each other so well. And like, there's times where you have to 
sacrifice your self as like your reputation, not your reputation, but you know, where, where it's your job to put someone else over. And that's like a term in wrestling, like to put someone over means to, to push them to the top, to, to help them, you know, it's their turn. So I, we had this really long title run, like really, really incredible matches. And people were so involved in the storyline because they knew us as friends off screen. And cause she was in NXT with me. And, um, and then when we were both on the, uh, SmackDown roster, super low in the totem pole, we would just like, get our, you know, we would just get beat together all the time. And, but we were, you know, we, and we weren't main characters on any of the show, but, but so we were these underdogs together, but everyone knew us as friends. And so we kind of like worked our way, um, into a storyline for the title. And then, you know, we became bitter enemies and it was this like really riveting storyline for wrestling fans. Cause you know, they had seen our friendship from very early on in the NXT days and as rookies and then, um, how far we had come. And so, um, people were super, super invested. And at that time, people were starting to pay more attention to women's wrestling and they were giving us, you know, more time. And we were getting, you know, really, really prime, um, television segments and, and pay-per-views and just, it was amazing. Cause it, it, it was this like rise of the women. And, um, so at WrestleMania in 2013, um, they launched the total divas show and the, there was like, I don't know, a handful of the girls that were on it and AJ and I were not on it. And so, we were told that the total divas were never supposed to take precedence over the storylines that we had going with WWE. It was supposed to be two completely separate things. And then Vince ended up really, really loving total divas and started working the total divas kind of storylines or whatever that they were doing on reality TV onto the WWE programming. So the girls that were not on total divas kind of got shafted. And so, um, it kind of became two different women's divisions where it was like total diva girls and then the non total divas girls. And, um, I think they try to make it into like a, like a storyline. Um, and there kept, just kept being more and more distance between the girls that were on this show and getting all of this limelight and, and storylines and stuff on the regular WWE programming. And then the girls that were not on it. So I ended up losing the title to, to AJ, which was, my most, probably my most favorite moment, even though it's, it's funny cause I lost the title to her, but it was so meaningful because we had gone through so much and we had broken so many barriers and, and I was super proud of us. And so after I lost the title, it was my time to kind of take a back seat. And that's part of it. Like that, you know, that that's part of it. You're not always on top. So, um, I had, at that time I had started dealing with some, um, some weight issues. I, cause during the time in those like year and a half where I was, um, super low in the totem pole. I was trying to do everything I could to get noticed, to get more TV time. And so I had dressed, I lost like a drastic amount of weight, like 25 pounds, which is a lot in a short period of time. And I'm, I thought because I wasn't like the typical diva model girl, um, I've always been super muscular. Like, you know, I'm five, five and I've, I always, always weigh like 155 pounds. I've like, since I was like five, not really, but I'm always like, a, I'm, I'm like a, a really muscular girl. And, um, it's, so I lost all this weight with a really crazy drastic diet, hoping that I, I would get more TV time and get noticed more because Vince always really, really, you know, he favored the more model looking girls. And I didn't quite fit. I didn't fit that obviously. And I didn't fit the other type of diva at the time, which was like the really strong powerhouse, uh, really, really good wrestler. Cause I was new and I didn't have that much, you know, wrestling knowledge and skill. And I wasn't quite like a China looking person. So I was kind of in the middle and at that. So 
Um, so I lost all this weight. And then because I did that really, really drastic diet and I tried to maintain it with like crazy amounts of cardio and just like not eating enough, then I started having weight issues. And you know, you see that a lot with like, you know, competitors and, and stuff like that in, um, you know, like bodybuilding and stuff. So, um, I started gaining weight and I think I gained maybe like 15 pounds, which is so much when you're on TV, because you already look bigger than you are on TV. And so because of that, I was dealing with like a depression and, you know, with this kind of like, you know, what am I doing? Is this what I want to do? Because I, I, because they were hard on me about my weight, I really, um, I didn't have any self-esteem. I lost, I kind of devalued myself a lot. And so I was just going through this whole, like, I don't know, really emotional time. And because I had gotten, I had gotten engaged and I was like leaning heavily on like my relationship. I thought, you know, like I'm super proud of what I've done in the WWE. And like, I, I, one day I just had a really, really rough day. And I, it was, um, the very beginning of 2014 and it was kind of, um, everything to me, everything was pointing to this as the route I should go is to leave, to ask for my release. And, um, so, you know, I'm like, well, I'm going to get married. And I wanted had started, I wanted to start my business and all that. And so I just made a really, really rash decision. And I asked for my release and they were really, really cool. And they, they told me to sleep on it. And then I came, that was at raw. And then the next day, cause we used to film, we used to have raw on Mondays and then you would film SmackDown on Tuesdays. Um, that's when SmackDown was not live. It's live now. But, um, so then I slept on it and I came to TV on Tuesday and I was still wanting to stick with my decision. And it was like the hardest day ever. Like I had made myself physically sick cause I was so stressed and so emotional over it. And it was really scary, but I just kind of trusted my gut. And that was what my gut was telling me to do. And, um, I hadn't, I had already started to kind of build the frameworks for celestial bodies, but I was like nowhere close to launching it or bringing it to market. I was still trying to make prototypes and stuff, but, um, it kind of was this like, holy crap moment. Cause then I had to hit the ground running, you know, I'm like, okay, well I left my career on TV and professional wrestling. And, and I did really, really go through this. I like, I had tied myself, my identity so much to the WWE and, and being a, a pro wrestler that I had this really, really hard transition to, you know, being on TV every week and these super high, these super highs and, and these adrenaline rushes to, um, you know, uh, living in Florida with my, what he was going to be my husband and, and working out of a bedroom, trying to build this business. And I had days where I'd wake up and I'm like, what am I doing? I've never run a business before. I, I know nothing about the fashion industry. I just had this concept in my head that I, at this point, because I had left wrestling, I was like, I have to make this work. And, you know, celestial bodies and being, being the founder of celestial bodies is my new identity. So I, I tied so much to it, um, that I put so much pressure on myself that it was, it was, did it was hard. Did you do a lot of learning to figure the, figure all this stuff out? So, in the, uh, you know, learning about the fashion industry and how to bring this apparel company to market. So I, my ex-husband had a supplement company. And so I was learning kind of like the ins and outs of just like owning a business through like an online uh, e-commerce business through that. And then I just, so when I was, um, you touched on it a little bit with that amazing intro you gave me. <laughs> but, um, so I used to have the, the seamstresses for WWE so that this like ruching into all of my wrestling attire. Cause it was like, it was flattering and it was like this extra little something that, you know, hugs your curves. And, and I had seen that. Yeah. yeah tell us about, tell, uh, tell us the concept of behind that too. Uh, Cause I think women, I mean, uh, women would love that. 
So it's cool because I was using it on all of my wrestling attire, whether it was like pants or shorts or one pieces or whatever, because it was just this flattering and it, it didn't really have a name besides like the, the method of doing it is called ruching. It's where you sew this like piece of elastic into the seam of, um, the rear, basically the rear, rear of your pants or shorts or whatever. And it kind of, uh, scrunches the fabric and it, it just pulls everything together. And cause sometimes like when you wear spandex and it's tight, um, it can like flatten your butt and just like not be as, you know, I guess aesthetically pleasing. So I, I was tr at the initial concept of social bodies was I wanted to make um, it wasn't even supposed to be athletic where I just wanted, wanted to make clothing for like more muscular girls. Um, that was like my initial idea. Cause like that was me. And I, you know, I'd always have to buy larger sizes. Cause like my back was so wide or my shoulders were wide or, or whatever the case was. And then it kind of like turned into, I was like, you know, cause I was banging my head against the wall. Like what's going to make this business or the concept of slush bodies different? You know, why are people going to want to buy from me? And so that exactly yeah. instead of creating an apparel company for the sake of creating an apparel right so like a lot of people want to just create one because it'd be it's like a sexy idea yeah it, and it definitely but there's like you have a unique concept so I, it just hit me one day and i was like oh my gosh like I, so this is such a cool concept and you don't see it anywhere you, you were seeing it in like competition suits like uh you know female competitors and um and swimsuits and so i was like you know why is nobody doing this in leggings or activewear so i literally took some of my wrestling shorts and I took them to a seamstress and she made me a couple prototypes until we finally got one that, that worked. And then I was like, okay, I have a prototype. I have a concept. Um, now, and then I had to find a manufacturer. And like during that, I was like building my website and I was just getting started on social media. I had had a Twitter when I was wrestling, but Instagram was completely new to me. Facebook was, I'd never messed with Facebook. And so I was like kind of putting all the pieces together, uh, in this like six month period before I launched it. So I left the WWE in January, 2014. And then I launched social bodies. It, it came, I brought it to market. Um, in the end of June of 2014, um, actually like, like two or three days after I got married. Um, <laughs> we did. So I, because it was so important to me to get it going as fast as possible because in my head, and this is one of the biggest mistakes I made actually, um, is I, and I can look back on it and, and it, it helps me now to, to put it that into perspective, but I, I rushed it so bad that I ended up putting out a product that I was not proud of. And so I, I didn't know anything about manufacturing and, and I, the, the person that had done the, the, the prototype sample for me, she introduced me to a local manufacturer in South Florida. Cause I, li I live in South Florida and, um, As do I. <laughs> and you know, I didn't know anything. And so this guy ended up being just the worst type of person, but, um, I didn't know anybody else and I didn't know any better. And I think that you honestly, like you have, when you're starting out with anything, you have to go through those, like you know, rough experiences with, with people that aren't necessarily like, you know, don't, don't have your best interests at heart. And they're, you know, maybe they're not like a good person or whatever, because you learn, you learn so much from it. And so he, yeah, I've had people burn me yeah. that, that I, that, that I've learned from. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Some, I, I've a, dealt with some real con men. <laughs> it's such a valuable lesson too. It's yeah. like, it sucks when it's happening, but then you, you learn so much from it and it's, it's like, so, you know, nothing is, quote unquote, bad experience. It's just a learning experience, I guess. And, you know, at the time I was like, I hate this. This is the worst thing ever. But, um, so I, he had made me a couple of prototypes. We, and he actually had his own clothing company. So he was, he would only let me choose from the fabrics that he was using to, um, cause when you purchase fabric, you have to, uh, have a minimum 
amount of yardage. Um, and then, so he was charged, I could only choose from the fabrics that he was using. And then, um, we selected two styles. Uh, I wasn't completely happy with them, but I was like, you know, I got to bring this to market. Cause I, in my head, I was losing, um, momentum and like my ex-husband was in my ear and he was like, you know, you need to, this needs to happen faster and faster. And so I rushed it and I ended up putting out a product that I wasn't good. I hated it. It was mm. like, it didn't fit how I wanted it to. I felt like it didn't even look good on me. And then, so here I was trying to push this product that I had like left a, you know, a really successful TV career. And, and I launched this like not so great product. And so since, since I had launched it, I, and I, I was like planning my wedding and like all this stuff at the same time. It was like, I was putting a lot of pressure on myself because I was like, you chose this, you know, you left your career, like you have to make this work. So um, I tied my identity heavily to celestial bodies. And it was like this big blow when I, when I launched it, because it wasn't what I thought it was going to be when I launched. Um, and that is where I learned another valuable lesson with social media. And, and like, b- because I had built this huge audience, like on Twitter. And then when I made it Instagram, like, you know, everybody that knew me from wrestling, those were my followers. And those aren't necessarily the people that were going to be buying my high end fitness brand. Right. So, um, did you it have like, trouble selling it? Yeah, on social I did. Media. I was wow. like, I had, I had pushed this like big launch for so long. And like the day that we launched, it was like extremely disappointing because, um, I didn't, you know, nothing really converted over and it, it, and so I had to go back to the drawing board and say like, okay, how I knew the product that I wanted to sell. And I, I knew why I wanted, you know, I wanted something that made women feel good about themselves. And, you know, when you, especially in the gym, when you f- look good, you feel good, you have a better workout. Like it's all a, for sure. A, you know, it's all in a head game. Yep. So I agree. It, it, and it, it, it sounds dumb, I guess, but we know it doesn't. It's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, like I've left a, the gym before when I feel like I looked like I, like I did, you know, um, I would some, cause I hated my product so much. Like I would wear it obviously to promote it and whatever. And then like, I just didn't even like the way it fit that much. Like there'd be times that I would leave the gym cause I'd be like, Oh, like, and it was, it was such a head game. And, um, and yeah. so I, when I up- wear a loose fitting shirt, I, I, you know, like a, like a really crappy, like cotton t-shirt that's maybe a size too big. I feel scrawny and like just not fit at yeah. all, uh, as opposed to when I'm wearing, you know, a an Under Armour or Lululemon shirt that really hugs my bicep and like show, but not you like feel too good. tight. Like shows the definite exactly. Yeah. I, my movements are more crisp. Yeah, uh, I I feel very good. I feel. I feel jacked, you know? Yeah, it's it's all a confidence <laughs> thing. It really is. Yeah, and it's it is. so important to just like a little detail about like how a shirt fits you, you know? So, uh, and it, so I, it took took me a couple, I don't know, maybe half a year to like, I, I really, really immersed myself in, or I tried to into the fitness industry and my, um, my husband at the time, he, you know, he had a supplement company. And um, so I started, uh, you know, I started to build a team of ambassadors and, you know, people that he was using for his brand. And, um, and so I slowly, but surely broke my way into the fitness industry. And then, um, so about a year and a half later in 2016, I had uh, an insane year. Like the growth was unbelievable. And I had like, it was really like at the top of like influencers. Cause we all know that the influencer bubble is kind of ready to, to, to pop right now. And, and the influencer game has changed a lot. Um, it has, yeah. especially with, with these platforms like Instagram strangling people's reaches. Yeah. It's, it's such a struggle now. It's like really frustrating. But then in 2016 I had, you know, I had Miss Olymp- Miss Bikini Olympia and like I had, you know, I, 
I had all of these really, really like incredible ambassador influencer girls. And, um, I was selling so much. And I, um, another thing that really pushed the, the growth of the company was, um, in the very beginning of 2016, I had found a new manufacturer and, um, they changed the game for me because I had way better quality sewing, better fabrics and everything was consistent. And like I had, since I launched, um, the company until like mid 2016, I had changed my, um, designs like seven, eight times, just, you know, the waistband, the scrunch, more scrunch, more scrunch. And I changed the length, the fabric, all that stuff. And then 2016 was like the perfect culmination of like the quality of the clothes, the quality, um, of the fit of the booty scrunch legging. Um, and then having like, having, you know, worked my way into like this, um, the, the more fitness industry where, you know, girls that were competitors or girls that were just really into working out, um, you know, started noticing my brand and everybody was wearing it and posting it and tagging social bodies and the Instagram grew like crazy. And, you know, I couldn't go anywhere in, you know, within the fitness industry where people didn't recognize me for celestial bodies or whatever. And, um, it was amazing. And, 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 you know, it took a year and a half and, um, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I was like, this is it. Yeah, this is it. And then I was like feeling myself and I was like, you know, this is what I had been working for the past year and a half when I left my career in wrestling. Like this is, you know, and I, I ended up, um, doing like the cover of Ironman magazine twice. And I, you know, I was building my name in, you know, in the fitness industry and, um, it kind of like all came crashing down when, um, Oh, well, let me say this. So in, when I launched Celestial Bodies, I had coined that, that signature, um, ruching the booty scrunch. Yeah. Right. And, um, immediately I had started work to patent it and to trademark, um, the name booty scrunch. And so literally like four or five months after I launched, there was already at least two companies copying the, um, concept and calling it scrunch booty or something different, but using the word scrunch. <laughs> so, so booty scrunch did not exist in, in, you know, in, women's athletic wear until I launched social bodies. Um, or if it did, I didn't know about it. It was such a small, on a small level. I don't know. I had never seen the scrunch and leggings before ever. And so I knew that I needed to patent it because it was like, a you know, an original concept and stuff. And so it took me, uh, three years to get a patent approved. And during, during that time, dozens and dozens and dozens of companies were using it. And so it was very, very frustrating to me because I, had created it and I was doing all this work, putting all this money into patent, getting the patent for it. Um, and you know, I couldn't really take legal action against anyone because I didn't have my patent, my patent yet. And, um, you know, no one really, uh, you know, half the people or more than half the people I sent cease and desist letters to just threw them away. And it was like really, you know, it was a big struggle. And then, so around 2016, like the term booty scrump booty scrunch became like an industry standard and in one, like in a lot of respects, it's really cool because like, Hey, like I started that, you know what I mean? But then also it was extremely frustrating. Um, and then when I finally, and actually I think it was to the beginning of 2018 is when I finally got my patent approved. So I had this document approved, like, you know, it's like this piece of paper that is, was so validating to me, but then in the, in the big, the grand scheme of things, it didn't really matter that much because I guess it mattered to me personally. Cause like I had worked so hard for just to get that patent, to get that recognition, but it doesn't, what, what sucks about patenting something in the fashion industry is that someone can take that design and they can sew it with 
a different stitch, one more stitch or like something so minute that, um, can make, they can say that's a different product. So it took me a long time to realize that I couldn't be so upset about it. And it was a waste of energy. And like, you know, I needed to focus on being, um, continuing to be innovative and to just, you know, prove that my brand was the best, the quality, the fit, the feel. And, and a lot of these companies where people were, you know, they started out with slush bodies and then they started going somewhere else where it was either less expensive or maybe there was like a print or a color or a fabric they liked better of a co- another company that was doing the scrunch design. They would always come back to slush bodies because of the quality. And, um, so I had that working for me, but it was still very, very frustrating. And then, um, and then, uh, in, so going back to 2016, um, I was super, super, I was successful in um, my career and I was finally kind of where I wanted to be. And, um, and then I ended up, uh, filing for divorce as, <laughs> um, everything was great with my career, but I was very, very unhappy in my marriage. And, um, I got married really fast and, and my ex-husband was one of those people that kind of changed immediately after we got married. And I, I felt really trapped because I had, you know, left my career where I was making a ton of money on TV and then put everything into my business, you know, financially. And, and he, you know, he had helped too. And then, um, everything behind the scenes was really bad. And we had this like social media relationship where everything looked so perfect. And, you know, we were these business owners and, um, and we, we did the, when, um, we did the first, the first time I was on Iron Man magazine, we did the cover together and, um, you know, it was this Mm. big lie and it was like, it was so messed up. And, but I honestly didn't know how to like get out of it. Cause I had, I learned a lot from this situation too, is to like always, you know, I, I felt trapped because I had put everything into this business. My, even though my business was doing well, it wasn't like profiting like a crazy amount. It was still in a really big growth phase. And, um, you know, I felt like I, you know, backed myself into a corner and, and I was really, really afraid to leave. And, and I, it was also one of those relationships where I had let someone make me feel like I was less than, and, um, and it was like a very manipulative type of relationship. And so it took me a long time and actually, uh, a, a very, very key therapist to kind of like, yeah, I, I went through, I went to therapy my entire marriage. The only one that went to therapy because I had, I felt like everything was my fault and that's how, you know, he made mm. me feel. And so I finally found this therapist who could reassure me that I wasn't crazy, that the things I was feeling was, were valid and, um, and, and I, I, the biggest thing I was worried about is like losing slush body is like, what was going to happen if I went through this divorce and it was really messy and, and, you know, that, and I had tied my identity <laughs> to slush bodies. And so, and, um, so the beginning of 2017 was actually when everything got super real and I, and I, um, it kind of was public that, you know, I was splitting, we, we were splitting up and he fought me really hard for slush bodies and, and. I didn't want anything to do with his company or like, like I just wanted to get away from him because, um, I had gone through this like growth where I realized that like I had lost a sense of myself and I, I, it wasn't me and, um, I knew I had to get away from it. And so, um, one of the, during the divorce, which was really ugly, uh, one of the first things that I did was, I associated every, I associated everything in the fitness industry, um, 
to my ex-husband and I was like, I want to pull celestial bodies out of it. I'd, I want it to be more mainstream. Uh-huh. And one of the things that had happened when in, in 2016, when celestial bodies had really, really skyrocketed was that um, a, it became very, very over-sexualized. Um, Cause like my ex-husband's um, supplement company is, uh, you know, they sex sells for them. And like a lot of those same girls were rep- representing celestial bodies. And I would have um, more quote unquote normal girls comment or DM me or in person say, Oh, I love celestial bodies, but I'm not in good enough shape to wear it. Or I don't look like those girls or whatever. And that was like the worst thing that I could have heard. So uh, because I was associating so much negativity to being tied to my ex-husband, I, I had let go all of my ambassadors, even the ones that maybe weren't too over-sexualized with their posts and all that, but I wanted to completely wipe the slate clean. And I started, I changed up my marketing. I changed up the brand's image and, you know, the website and everything to, for this like fresh start. But, um, a big mistake was not realizing that I had social bodies was born in the fitness industry. And I kind of tried to rip it out of that too fast. And I lost, I didn't lose it, but I, 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 um, started steering away from my original, like, uh, customer base and the people that were super loyal to the company. And, um, so it's just been this crazy, like <laughs> crazy roller coaster of, of learning, but it's all, yeah. I all learn so much through every stage, every aspect of it. Well, I, I going back to the relationship, it's interesting from my own anecdotal evidence uh, and observation. I noticed that the least healthy relationships are the ones that they, are the couples that post pictures together like three times per week. Whereas yeah. like, the most healthy relationships, they post a picture together like twice a year. <laughs> yeah. Cause they don't yeah. have anything to prove, you know? Exactly. It's, right. Yeah. They don't have anything to prove. It's a, that yeah. that's, that just hits the nail on the head. Celeste, I have uh, two more questions for you. What do you do for fun? <laughs> um, so um, I didn't really do a lot of things for fun for a while because I was, so I don't know whoever's listening to this, if you've like gone through divorce, but it's like one of the most devastating things that you can go through, like, mm. uh, mentally, spiritually, financially, it affected me physically. Like my hair was falling out. Like I was so stressful. And I, um, it was probably, is that the hardest thing you've ever had to do or what? Yeah. But it, but it, it was the hardest, but it was also the most, um, valuable thing that I've gone through because I just, it taught me so much. And I honestly, like I, I learned so much about myself and like just finding myself again. And like my, my friends that I've been, you know, that I've been in my life for 10, 20 years were like, you know, it's nice to have you back. You're, you're, you're a better version of yourself. You're you again. And it was nice to hear that once I kind of got away from, you know, my marriage and like everything that had kind of like transpired. And, um, so I actually went through the really dark time where I was, um, like, you know, alcohol and drug abuse and just really, really, and I was using it just as a coping mechanism. And so I wasn't doing anything for fun. I was just working, getting by and then, um, you know, just drinking or whatever. And it wasn't even like I was like partying. I was like literally drinking alone or whatever. And that's when, you know, it's, it's the worst and you, yeah. you know, so it gets a, it's a really dangerous path. And, um, so I, and that was, so in 2018 or yeah, in 2018, I, I kind of like snapped out of it and I started training again and I actually got back into training in the ring. And that was something that, um, really, really 
helped me because it was something that I was extremely passionate about for a long time. And then I, when I got back into the ring, I, it was this motivation to get back in shape to, you know, to be in the gym again. Cause I've, I've always been obsessed with like training and bodybuilding styles, you know, and just fitness industry and, um, or not necessarily fitness industry, but, um, you know, being fit and being an athlete and all that. And, and then when I got back into the ring, so it was just this like huge motivation to be better and to get back to me again. And then I started like wrestling so much. And then, so that was fun to me. That was my outlet. That was where I didn't look at my phone for three hours. That's where I didn't worry about anything when I was in the ring. And, um, I was like, okay, well this means something obviously because it's, it's helping me transform my life again and get back to, the way I want to feel and look. And, um, and then I ended up because of that. And I was sharing a lot of that on social media. Like when I was going through that really dark time where I was like, you know, abusing alcohol and drugs and stuff. I, um, when I started coming out of it, I started sharing a lot of it on social media instead of like pretending to be this person, you know, like I did when I was going and married. And, um, it was really cool for me because, um, I started sharing like about my depression and like, and all these things that I went through. And, um, so many people reach out to me and they're like me too, or, you know, what you said today on your post, like I could relate to that so much. And I started like realizing how important it was. Um, or it was, it was like a therapy to me too, to like share all that stuff. Cause it's like, Hey, here, this is what I went through. Here's how I'm getting over it. Here's how I'm overcoming it. And like, if that can even like affect one person, that's like so meaningful and fulfilling. And, um, so that was something that I was, was helping me, you know, it was like therapeutic for me too. And then, so because I was training and that was actually all I was doing for fun. <laughs> um, but I, because I was, hey, it's fun. It, and it was, it was, um, sorry, it was amazing for me. And, and so because I was sharing a lot of that on social media, um, the WWE reached out to me to come back and do this all women, all women's tournament, um, in the fall of last year. And so that was really cool. Cause I got to come back as this new version of myself, this like evolved, um, person in the ring and outside of the ring. And I did that tournament and it was, it was this all women's tournament. It's televised and it's from women all around the world. And I did that. And, um, that was kind of like the culmination of everything that I had been working towards. Um, that was last year. And then, so now, um, I have like, I'm in a really, really good relationship. It's incredible. And, um, we do. Excellent. Yeah. I'm so, I'm super, super happy. And it wasn't, it was one of those things where I was like really, really good on my own. And I, you know, wasn't using like a bunch of these yes. coping mechanisms and I was just in a really good spot to meet somebody that's, you know, been so incredible and, and pivotal in my life. And so we do so much fun stuff together. Like I, I'm like, <laughs> I feel like I'm a fun person again. <laughs> Cause like I had, I was like head down, you know, working, working, yeah. wrestling and training, trying to get, you know, back to the feeling like myself again. And now like, you know, I lived in South, I've lived in South Florida for a long time. And like, I would never go to the beach and never do take advantage of any of that cool stuff we have here in South Florida. So we go to the beach like five times a week, literally like, you know, after work or whatever, or in the mornings. And, um, we so get it. I love it. And we train together. And, um, and so, yeah, I, um, I don't know if, what about, what about kava? I hear you drink kava. Okay. Yeah. I drink so, kava. I love it. Do you really? <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. Dude. We have kava so bar here and, uh, here in Fort Myers, they have one in, uh, yeah, they have like five locations around here. It's awesome. Dude, I go like that makes every other week and it's, oh, it's, I love it. I love the environment I love too. I love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's so, that's so dope. I didn't know that you did that. So kava is another thing that actually helped me get out of the, like, um, some of like my addiction issues. Um, so I discovered kava bars, um, 
in South Florida here, uh, and then like 2017 ish. And so for people that don't know, kava is a, uh, it's a root and it's, um, it's basically ground up and it's made into a drink and it's, uh, this like relaxing euphoric, um, super chill. And it's a very, very social drink. And it's from, okay. uh, Yes. I get so talkative and I make friends. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like, and what it's dope is like, it's like, it's an, it's made from a root literally. So it's, you're not putting anything processed or whatever, whatever in your body or, or it. So it's just an, it's a root, right? So, um, and it, it's this, if you do any research for anybody listening about like what it is and it's K-A-V-A, Kava, um, it is a social drink and it's got a lot of um, history behind it and it's very cultural. And so I got really into kava and I love that environment where you can just go to a kava bar. Everyone's cool. And Everyone. like, yeah. And the difference between a regular bar and a kava bar is like when people, when alcohol is involved, people can get into fights or it makes them aggressive or whatever, you know, so there's obvious side effects of that, but like a lot of those bar- people are trying to escape pain too. Yeah, at like you know at the at the clubs. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's I, so true. I don't enjoy, I don't enjoy that environment at <laughs> no. all. Like the only way you can enjoy those environments is to pump yourself full of alcohol and mm-hmm. smoke a bunch of weed. Like that's the yeah. only way to enjoy this deafeningly loud club environment with with like bodies packed it's so hot <laughs> it's so miserable like body heat it's miserable <laughs> you it's can't like, enjoy it sober <laughs> and yeah and it's like a vicious cycle too i feel like when you get into that lifestyle but i just i love kava and it was very impactful for me because you know instead of going to like a bar or drinking alone or whatever you can walk into the kava bar i know everybody at my the kava bar i go to purple lotus here in del rey and it's just like it's cool because like it's everybody's there to hang out, chill, make friends, like, and it's just a super relaxing drink. And anyone in my life, my friends, my family, like significant other, like I always introduce them to, to Kava and like, you know, because it's a meaningful thing to me. And I was actually in the process of starting a Kava bar this year. Um, yeah, but so I had a partner, um, he's my very good friend, Sam Franklin, him, we met in a Kava bar and he's, he does like IT, um, he's a huge wrestling fan. I think that's like how we kind of like bonded initially. And so he had let, he had resigned from his job and, um, I was looking to start another business. And so we decided we were going to be partners. And so we, for about like six or seven months, we spent time trying to find like the perfect location. And the issue with Kava and Kratom, cause they're kind of go hand in hand. Um, yeah. a lot of, a lot of Kava bars serve Kratom and like that mm-hmm. is a gray area product. So, um, or at least when it comes to like legal le- legislation and, and s- permits and stuff like that. So we had a hard time um, finding anywhere that, like, especially in places like Boca or Del Rey, where they allow you to have a cover bar because a lot of people don't know what it is. So they're like, no, you know, and, and so it actually ended up being a blessing that we, it took us so long to find a place because my partner, um, he f- fell into like a new career and ended up like not selling his house. And cause that was going to be, you know, like his uh, um, half of the uh, investment. And, and so it ended up, it's on hold right now, but, um, and I'm most likely going to end up moving back to Texas in the next like six or 12 months. So it just made sense to like, not, um, you know, put more roots here in South Florida. Um, so it's still something I really, really want to do because I believe so much in it. And it's just like, it's, it's such a mood elevator and it's like so positive in so many ways. So, um, I'm, I'm, I love, love, love Kava. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go in the next two days. I I need it. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> yeah. 
So, so we talked about what you do for fun. Uh, people can find you celestialbodies.com for, I know women are going to love those. They do. So many women love those booty scrunch shorts. They can get those special shorts there. Bodies with a Z, yes. B-O-D-I-E-Z, celestialbodies.com, at Celeste Bonin on Instagram and uh, cbcollective.com as well. Yeah. Uh, that'll, that'll, uh, celestialbodies.com in the next couple of weeks we'll begin redirecting to cbcollective.com it'll be kind of the same same thing from my understanding uh, so uh, Celeste I, I do thank you so much for sharing all the details here of your, <laughs> of your story I know you're an inspiration to many women and even men can find inspiration and hope in your story from you know being that underdog to becoming a champion so thank you celeste thank you so much for having me it's been awesome i love that you love kava too <laughs> <laughs> so so my final question celeste is uh, if you could teach a course at a university a course of your creation or otherwise what would it be um I, uh, first of all I, <laughs> so i'm like super super laid back i'm not very um i'm not straight laced by any means that i'm i if I ever were to teach a course, it, people would have to sign a waiver in advance to know that um, there would be a lot of like c cursing. Uh, <laughs> it Fine. wouldn't be <laughs> extremely um, super, super regimented, but because uh, I'm all about having, especially with like my employees and my staff and stuff, I'm always about having like a really like open creative environment where everyone's opinion matters, everyone's voice matters. And so um, it would be that kind of atmosphere, first of all, atmosphere. And you could, you know, sit Indian style, you could lay down, whatever it is, I don't care. But ah. so it'd be super chill and maybe we'd have kava, but, um, it would, <laughs> I, I think that it would be, um, maybe something, something that would be, and I'd obviously have to develop the course now, but, um, something that would be able to push people out of their comfort zone, um, and to really like teach people how to harness that, um, that, that voice inside that intuition and you know how to listen to it and and to trust it and i know that comes with like age and experience and all that stuff but um it the, the most important like the most valuable asset you have is your intuition and your gut instinct and like if there was a way that i could develop some kind of course for people to um learn that and apply it to themselves I think that that would be really, really substantial and, and it could be like life-changing to a lot of people, especially younger people. Going back to where we started this conversation. <laughs> Full circle. Cel <laughs> yeah, Celeste Bonin, you are a badass. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you so much. Appreciate it. There you have it, my friends. This has been another episode of Growth Mindset University, the podcast. Now, if you enjoyed this one today, all I ask is that you share it out to your friends, family, etc., on your Instagram story and tag me and our guest today. And don't forget to message our guest as well so that you build your network as you listen and learn with this podcast. And if you really believe that hearing the message of growth is important to the world and you want to help others find our show and you're not satisfied with just taking a screenshot and sharing this on your Instagram story, well, I've got good news for you. You can go the extra mile in helping spread this message of growth. You can leave us an honest rating and review in Apple Podcasts. We have over 200 ratings right now and it has made a gigantic difference 
for this show, not only helping people find the show, but getting awesome guests. Thank you all so very much. And until next time, my friends, make every day count. Live to learn and grow to give.